Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Walking around these walls I thought by now they But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet.
Well, how are you, church? You good? It's good to be with you guys. And my name is David Walters. For those of you that haven't met, and it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. It's my privilege uh, to be with you in week four of a five-week series called Heaven on the subject of heaven. And so far in this series, we've learned a lot about heaven. Maybe what we uh, haven't known in previous, most Americans believe in heaven, but most Americans don't know a whole lot about heaven. And so far we've discovered what makes heaven. Heaven is Jesus, though heaven will be a beautiful place uh, where we will be able to experience that beauty. We'll also be able to experience the most beautiful, the most wonderful, and that's Jesus. And so we learned that in week one. In week two, we learned um, what's, um, what we will be like in heaven. And basically we learn that we will be the, the same, but a new and improved version of the same. And then in uh, week three, which was last week, we learned what we will do in heaven. This week we learn what we won't do in heaven. And um, when it comes to what we won't do in heaven, maybe you heard the, the story of a very wealthy man who got a diagnosis here on earth that he was soon to pass. Um, and he was a little bit sad because he had accumulated great wealth and he knew that he would not be able to take any of his worldly possessions with him into heaven. And so he began to pray to God in desperation and say, hey, I've accumulated a lot of stuff here on earth and I'd really like to take some things with me. Um, God heard his prayer and sent an angel to talk to him and say, um, you can, uh, we have heard your prayer um, and we have decided that we will let um, you bring one thing with you. You can bring one suitcase full of anything that you want into heaven with you. And so the man thought about it. He thought about it. He agonized over what one material possession he was going to take with him to heaven. And he thought, I know I will take my most extravagant possession. And that was his pure gold bars. And so he packed as many of those pure gold bars into his briefcase. He sat it by his bed just in case he passed away at night. Soon after he made that decision, he did pass away. He shows up to heaven and the briefcase is not there. And St. Peter says, hey, welcome to heaven. And the guy says, hey, I thought I was allowed to bring one briefcase full of anything that I wanted to bring with me. And Peter was like, I normally that's not what we do. And he said, no, we had a, a conversation already about this. And, and Peter said, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. Um, but before you enter in with that briefcase and the briefcase magically appeared, just kind of showed up before you come in with that briefcase, we need to search and see what it is. Of all of the material possessions that you could bring to heaven with you, what did you choose to bring? And he opens up the briefcase and he goes, you brought pavement? Yeah, yeah, bad, bad preacher joke. Nine fifteen, maybe the delivery was better because they actually laughed at that. But, and some of you, you might not know why you're laughing. You're just laughing at the preacher because he, you know, didn't tell a good preacher joke. But, um, but, but the point being that you can't take um, things from earth with you into heaven, and gold will line the streets of heaven. And so, if you're not familiar with heaven, that's the point of the joke. Um, and, and we all kind of know when it comes to things that we won't do in heaven, that we can't take material possessions with us from earth into eternity. Uh, we know that because you've heard that you'll never see a U-Haul following a hearse, you know. There, there, there isn't the transfer, the ability to transfer um, any earthly worth into heaven unless we're investing in kingdom things here that will manifest in eternal things there. Um, but that's probably about the extent of things we know that we won't do in heaven. We won't be able to take any of our material possessions with us. Uh, we thought we would kind of see what some of the kids in Kidzu thought we might not be able to do in heaven. And so we interviewed them a couple of weeks back about what we won't be able to do in heaven. And this is what we discovered. Let's take a look. Kick or hit or say, say stuff about other people. I'll just 
being nice and caring. I will not take photos and I will not jump off high cliffs to sin, sin um, do anything bad. Don't feel afraid and don't feel lonely. I won't hurt people and I won't um I won't um be disobedient. What I won't do in heaven is I won't be mean to people or I won't talk I won't tell people about what they're what they're like in heaven and tell secrets. Won't tell secrets about what people are like when we get to heaven. I love that list. And if we were to interview you, you might have your own list. One of the things we're going to do today is discover from the Bible, God's list of things that we won't do in heaven. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. If you're not familiar where Revelation is in your Bible, just go to the end. If you get to the glossary, you've gone just a little bit too far. Take a couple pages to the left. You should be able to find Revelation chapter 21. And if you've been with us in the series or, or not been with us in the series, um, the first four verses of Revelation chapter 21 have kind of been our foundational verses for this entire series. They've given us a starting point for the discussion of what heaven is like because this guy named John, who was a follower of Jesus, receives under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a vision from God of what an eternal heaven is going to look like. And he says it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be beautiful like a bride that is adorned for her groom, um, but it is going to be the dwelling place of God. It's going to be where God fully um, reigns and where God fully resides. And, and then along with it, there are going to be certain experiences that we will have and things that we will not have or experiences that we won't have. And we'll see that list specifically in verse four. We're going to take a look at that list. And then I want to kind of put those in categories for you. So maybe you can take notes in a helpful way or remember these in a helpful way. So Revelation chapter 21 verse four. This is what John writes. He, that's Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That one verse, a lot of content. I want to share with you three specific categories that come from those three verses and then share with you a fourth thing that we won't be able to do in heaven. Uh, the first thing that's kind of mentioned there is that God's going to wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And then when he starts to list out what will be no more, the first thing in that list is mourning. Um, in some translations, it might say sorrow. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing you might want to write down is that there will be no more sorrow in heaven. There will be no more sorrow. Sorrow, mourning, deep um, uh, and inner kind of um, sadness, grief that we experience, maybe that manifests in tears. Now it's important to kind of understand that men. I know a lot of you aren't criers. I, I have a hard time relating to that because I'm a, I'm a crier. I've been a crier my whole life. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I used to be ashamed to admit it, but there's no shame in Christ. And so, and there's no condemnation in Christ. And so if I can't confess that to y'all in church, then I can't do it anywhere. Um, but I, I kind of inherited this from my dad. I cry at, at uh, kind of like all kinds of things. Um, I'll cry watching ESPN if Tom Rinaldi does a story on the Masters. I'll cry. I hear the Masters music and I start crying. Um, we watched Wonder two Friday nights ago, the movie Wonder that just came out. And um, 
And, uh, you know, about five minutes in, Carly, who was snuggled up next to me, she goes, Dad, are you crying? I was like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then we got done. I was like, who cried? Nobody cried except for me. And they were like, Dad, how many times did you cry? I was like, 15, 16, I don't know. Every scene I cried. I mean, I, I kind of cried, but it's not that kind of crying. It's not the crying when you hear kind of like a cool story, you see a good story. I'll cry watching Field of Dreams, even though I've watched it a hundred times. Anytime, if you build it, he will come and the dad. And, you know, anyway, like I cry a lot when it comes to stuff like that. But this type of crying is the, is the crying that's manifest from a, a deep, like, sadness, when maybe you observe something or you experience something that breaks your heart. And so think about the things that break your heart, maybe that you experience personally or you see and observe locally or maybe globally, and that's the sorrow that won't exist when it comes to heaven. There, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, though scripture doesn't say this, that the like, good crying will be in heaven because there are just some good cries, right? Like, you know, when you get kittens for Christmas, your kids cry. That's a good cry. There will be some of that, but when, it, when it's a manifestation of something that's deep and sad, it won't be there, something that breaks your heart. And, um, and, and my guess is that most of us, we, we have a list of things that probably break our heart about the current state of either our life or the lives of those that are around us. If you're not, if you don't have something that breaks your heart, it's probably because you're not on social media and you're probably not paying attention to the news, which is okay. I admire you actually for that. But for those that do are on social media, you can't help but see the things that are breaking people's hearts and the, and the transgressions that are happening globally and, and locally and, and maybe um, experiencing it individually. And uh, I just kind of came up with a list of things that, that I thought would be kind of a, an example of things that might exist now, but when we're in heaven because there's no sorrow, God will either remove or God will make right in his justice. Um, things like global like transgressions, iniquities, or injustice. I was thinking about women's equality. I've got two daughters, and, and yesterday, one of my friends who was well-intentioned at, at Carly's track meet was going to go do something for her, and I was like, hey, that's noble. She can do that. You know, she can do that. She's good, because I want her to know that she can do that. She's competent to do that, but there are places in the world where the, the difference between men and women is still profound in the way that they're viewed, in the way that they're um, viewed as possessions, or, or maybe not equal in, in um, ability and, and in mental uh, capability. And so you see something like that and you go, okay, this thing breaks my heart that in other countries women are so oppressed. Um, but we know in heaven that there will be no sorrow. So those things that exist now will either be removed or made right. And we see that in Jesus in the way that Jesus treated women. Or we see that in Paul's writing when he says, when you're in Christ, there is neither male nor female meaning that the things that once separated us or, or were viewed as unequal are, are made equal in the eyes of God. Uh, I was thinking about genocide. I was thinking about the fact that one of the things that we hear in the world, and, and just recently we, we've seen that a whole group of people were, were treated in a way that was um, torturous and even killed people. Um, through weapons, chemical weapons. And I was just thinking about that. I was like, that, you, can't, you can't help but, but read or see that and have your heart broken for that. And you're going, oh my gosh. And, and in heaven, there'll be no more sorrow. So when your heart's broken over genocide, a whole group of people that are being, you know, um, es- essentially like executed and wiped off the face of the earth, you break for that. And you know that that won't be in heaven for a number of reasons, but one reason we know is because every tribe and every tongue will be in heaven. That's what scripture says. There will be every tribe and every tongue. And so we see that and our heart breaks and we know that that won't be 
in, in the fullness of heaven. And you keep going down the list, exploitation of people for profit and for power. Uh, we talked a few weeks back about human trafficking and not just that being a global thing, but also like a local thing, a national thing. You go to national issues and at the forefront of our news and social media are, are racism. I mean, yesterday down in Noonan, there were neo-Nazis that were putting a protest on. Unfortunately, I heard there were only about two dozen of them, which isn't a whole lot. I mean, it's more than it should be, but but not a whole lot. And there were about 700 people that were kind of counter-protesting or protecting Noonan. And, and um, so you see that. You see modern-day orphans with foster care. I mean, all kinds of things that, that are iniquities or injustice here that one day are going to be made right. God's either going to remove it or God's going to, to make it right. And so you go, you go big and then you get it down small to an individual level. And you and I, we, we don't even have to think broader than our own individual lives. We think about things that cause like deep grief and sadness in our life that manifest sometimes in tears. You know, and it could be uh, relationships that need to be reconciled. It could be a number of situations or circumstances that are in our life um, that, that cause us to have great sorrow. And, and the picture that we have in heaven is that there will be no more sorrow. It'll either be removed or it will be made right. One of those sources of sorrow maybe in our life is actually our own personal sin. I know in my own life and in my own faith journey, when I have those like cyclical sins that kind of show up again, it causes great grief in my life. Number one, because like I don't want to experience that anymore and the shame that comes along with that, the condemnation that comes along with that. But also, I don't want to grieve the heart of God because when you read through the pages of Scripture, the thing that God grieves the most and mourns the most is our personal sin. And so when we experience that, that cyclical sin, we go, ah, like this is deep, deep grief and sadness. And maybe it manifests in tears. Well, fortunately for us, we know that in heaven there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be completely no more sin. If you're taking notes, that was the second teaching point. I know it already popped up on the screen, but in heaven, there will be no more sin. Now, I believe that the, the baseline for that is no more sorrow, but I also know that in Scripture, Scripture points clearly to the fact that sin is going to exit out of the world as we know it. And then this new heaven, this new earth, it's going to be no more. And I love this about Scripture. Like, Scripture was written by a few different people over a few thousand years and yet God was very, very like um, intentional about the way God inspired the authors of the Bible. Uh, the book of Genesis, it's the first book of the Bible. And in the first book of the Bible, the first two chapters of the Bible are our description of creation. In the third chapter, what we discover is that sin enters into humanity. Now, if you were to fast forward all the way to the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, the third to the last chapter of the Bible is when sin exits creation. Third chapter in, it enters. Third to the last chapter, it exits. Is that coincidental? Absolutely not. And then the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation, written over a span of thousands of years by somebody completely different under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is about the new creation. It's about recreation. This is God's like unfolding and, and you can take scripture and point to Jesus, fold the piece of paper and the timeline in half and all of the major significance event, events of the Old Testament match up and have a counterpart parallel in the New Testament and sin enters in, sin exits and sin will be no more. Heaven gives us 
this hope that sorrow will not be anymore. So any injustice and any iniquity will no longer exist. And what we see in full through the pages of scripture about what heaven will be like, what we will do, what we will not do in heaven, it informs us about how we operate here on earth. Once we have the assurance of being in heaven when we die and heaven being in us so that we can live. And it informs us in two ways. Number one, when there is sorrow, we can have hope because the sorrow will only last for the night. Joy will come in the morning, scripture says. It will only be temporary. One day we will know in full that there will be no more sorrow, whether it's related to injustice or to iniquity, our own sin. It gives us hope. If you walked into this place with sorrow, if you walked into this place with a struggle of um, habitual or frequent or occasional sin, have hope. Have hope. The second thing is we do not have to be idle when there's sorrow related to injustice or to iniquity and sin. We don't have to be idle. We can be active participants in bringing heaven to earth because that's what Jesus did. And so when it comes to injustices, and we spent a whole series prior to Easter talking about some of the injustices, some of the things that God is most concerned about, we get to stand up and we get to speak out when it comes to injustices. And when it comes to our sin, we have that same ability to not sit idle in our sin and just say, well, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. This is what happens. No, you have been bought by Christ. You, by the Spirit of God, are a new creation in Christ. You, according to Scripture, are now saints or the set-apart ones. You have a new identity and a new fuel in life. You're no longer bound as slaves to sin and death, but you are free. And you're free to walk in the holiness and the righteousness of God. He who had no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. Your sin was transferred to him. His righteousness was transferred to you. As a saint, you might still sin. In fact, you might start to understand sin in a whole new light to where you would say, hey, though there are different sin in my life that I'm aware of and, and God has freed me from some, I understand the gravity of it to the point where maybe like the Apostle Paul, who's maybe the world's greatest evangelist, greatest missionary and church planner says, I am the greatest of all sinners because you understand the gravity and the depth of your sin but you're no longer constrained by that because you've been given heaven in you and in your life. There's no sorrow. There's no sin. There's no suffering. There's no suffering. In, in scripture, the list that we read, it had the word pain, the word pain. Uh, the word pain in the Greek uh, Greek word, uh, the Greek word, which is the original language of the, the New um, Testament, earliest transcripts, was ponos. Everybody say ponos. Ponos is a word that is actually the name of a mythical Greek god, the mythical Greek god of toil. That's hardship. So the word suffering by connotation is any kind of hardship that you would experience in life. Toil, anything that's toilsome. Um, the the um, mother of the mythical Greek god of toil is um, Eris, the goddess of discord. The goddess of discord. The grandson, and, the, um, and Ponos is the grandson of Nyx, the, the god of night. Little G's, of course, the mythical gods in Greek culture. And so when this word is used, 
coming after it's already contextually used under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's also intentional and informative to know that when it comes to pain, pain could be anything that, that is um, hardship that we experience circumstantially. Physically, it could be something emotionally that, that causes discord within an integrated self where we feel like we're divided as individuals, where our, our, our mind, we can't make a decision or we're, we're doubting ourselves, or even spiritual, when we understand that there's discord with God and it creates this level of darkness where sometimes we just go, my life feels like nighttime constantly, constantly. And so this word pain it really comes down to this suffering that we can experience emotionally, we can experience um, spiritually, we can experience physically. And in heaven, there will be no more suffering. You will not suffer in heaven, emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically. You won't have it. And so what we do when we see this picture of the fullness of God, that there will be no more suffering is that we let that inform our life when we have the assurance of being in heaven when we die and heaven being in us so that we can live. That we let that inform us to give us hope, but also to invite that into our lives now whenever we experience suffering in any form, emotional, spiritual, physical. It's why as a church corporately, we have an in-reach ministry that does a few things. Number one, every Sunday after service, we have people, and we say this, Jared says this, or one of the pastors says it, that there are people available to pray with you if you have a need of prayer or a want of encouragement. Encouragement for the emotion, the need of prayer, maybe for the physical, and we've seen people experience encouragement, have peace and joy restored at this at the, this. Um, at the front of the room on Sunday mornings. We've had people healed physically at the front of the rooms because we're inviting what we know in full to be here on earth. That's why once a month uh, we have, on the, typically the first Friday of the month, a healing and prophetic night. The word prophetic, you can just substitute encouragement for. We have rooms set up where people can have prayer for any kind of physical, emotional, or spiritual needs in their life. They can have people that listen um, on behalf of that person from God and give them encouragement. And we've got story after story, testimony after testimony, and we typically share those at least once a month, whether it's offering time or announcement time, to, to, to encourage us to invoke and invite this fullness of heaven on earth, what we will know in part then. And then we've got a school of supernatural ministry. It's called VSSM. Two weeks ago, we announced that the applications were being open for that, and those are ongoing. Um, we've got students that meet twice a week over the course of an academic year to learn more about their identity as a son and a daughter of God, and then learn to and are equipped to take that out into the lives that they live. And one of those students this last week had a client who had a frozen finger. And I don't know what a frozen finger looks like, but I've got ligament damage in this finger. And every, every, every morning I wake up and it starts off right there and I bend it and I hurt because I tore a ligament in it and, and it hurts for a moment. And then the rest of the day, I'm good. I'm good. But it, but it starts off that way. And so I, I imagine it's something like that. Well, they prayed for their client and pain was relieved and there was uh, mo more mobility in that finger. Well, this was talked about on Thursday night, just this past Thursday night. And so on Friday morning, that person, that student in VSSM sent a text to that client with a prayer for the finger over text message. And then that person texted back and saying that the finger was completely mobile. In part, what we know in full, we let the in full inform what we do in part. 
where we invite the fullness of God into our suffering. We do not have to sit idle. We can have hope and we can invite that fullness here on earth. So when you take a look at verse four, it's very like explicit in, in the things that we won't do and won't experience and that won't be in heaven. One thing that's a little bit more indirect and implied in scripture that we know will happen, and this is how we'll close, is that when it comes to being in heaven and the assurance of being in heaven when we die and the assurance that a person can have of heaven being in us so that we can live, we will no longer be able to share the good news of that availability and accessibility once we get into heaven. Whatever we've done here on earth will be done. So you can add to the list of no more sorrow and no more sin and also shame that comes along with it, no more suffering, this no more sharing of the good news. That's the fourth thing. That's the last thing that we'll talk about today. You will not be able to share the good news that a person can reside with God forever. Jesus tells a, a story uh, that kind of summarizes this point. When he was doing some of his teaching, he tells a story about two guys. There was a rich guy and there was a poor guy. The rich guy has no name. The poor guy has a name named Lazarus. And I think that's really an interesting dynamic about the kingdom of God where a rich guy doesn't get a name, but a poor guy does. And I could actually spend a whole day talking about that. But both the rich man and Lazarus, they died. Jesus says that the rich man goes to hell and Jesus actually used the word hell and he talked about hell. The poor man, Lazarus, he dies and he goes to heaven. And then the rich man actually cries out to Lazarus and he wants Lazarus, the poor man who was a beggar at his gates of his residence, his mansion, to come and bring him some water so that his thirst can be quenched, so that his, his um, suffering and his torment can actually be relieved. And then Jesus says that Father Abraham responds to him. You know Father Abraham, who had many sons, that guy? Yeah, he responds and he says two things. He says the first thing is this, all of the pleasure that you received on earth, that's it, it's done. All the pleasure that you received on earth, that's all that you get. So in other words, you're not getting any relief. You're not getting any relief. You had relief on earth, you're not getting it now. And then he says this thing. He says that the chasm between heaven and hell has been fixed. That it is a fixed chasm. In other words, Lazarus cannot come and bring you cold water to relieve your suffering. Then the rich man cries out, well then tell Lazarus to go back to my family and my friends and to warn them. In other words, let them know about the torment and the suffering eternally that I'm experiencing. And let them know about the joy and the gladness and the beauty and the splendor of heaven. And Father Abraham says, it's not possible. What Jesus informs us is that we only have a set amount of time while we are on earth to warn or to witness. We only have a set amount of time on earth to warn or to witness. To warn about uh, eternal separation from God or to witness about the joy of eternal relationship with God the Father Almighty, who makes you a new you and has a new place for you to enjoy that is beyond imagination, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more sin and shame, and where there will be no suffering. Once you are done here, 
that opportunity is done. Which begs the question, and this is what haunts me, on average, 150,000 people die each day. Where are they going? Where are they going? And what haunts me even more and causes sorrow for me is if I take that list of 150,000 and I just bring it down to 15, 15 people in my life who I don't know if they died, where they would go. It grieves me. It grieves me. We only have this amount of time to share the good news of Jesus, to warn or to witness. What would it look like if we asked that question of the 15 closest people in our lives that we don't know where they will spend an eternity? What would it look like? Uh, there's a guy who doesn't go to our church. He actually lives in, in the Nashville area. He used to live in this area. And when I was a student pastor, I was speaking at a, a retreat at a place called Camp Gliss, and I was speaking at a spiritual life retreat. Um, and his youth group was at that retreat where I was speaking. And on the Saturday night session, um, I was sharing the gospel and just kind of laid it out there. He gave his life to Jesus. Um, he, his life was changed. He was saved. And uh, through the course of time and being at the Vine, his family started attending our church. And so he and I reconnected and he got my phone number. And um, I, I didn't know why he wanted my phone number. I just, I knew him. And so I gave him my phone number. And then I got a call one day, but I didn't have a name attached to that phone number. And so what did I do? I screened it, right? So I sent it to voicemail. Do you do that too? Or is it just me? Are you judging me right now? All right, anyway. So I sent it a voicemail. Well, he left a voicemail and he said, hey, today is the day, today is the anniversary of me accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. I just want to call you and thank you for sharing the gospel. And, um, and, and, and uh, this is my spiritual birthday. And I was like, man, that is cool. So, um, so I saved it. I didn't delete it. And then I put in my contact list that it was a BJ. And um, that was his name. And so I, I put in my contact list, BJ. Well, the next year I get a call and it shows up, BJ. And so then I like immediately like clicked on my phone so that it would go to voicemail. Did any of y'all do that too? Where you see the name and you just send it to voicemail? <laughs> or are you just judging me right now? Now, I don't know why you do it, but why I did that is because I wanted him to leave a voicemail because I was interested in what he said. And what he said was, hey, today's my spiritual birthday and I just wanted to call you and thank you for sharing the gospel. And he shared a little bit more. And then I noticed that, um, that he started posting on social media every year on his spiritual birthday about how he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he talks about that. And, and all the time I started noticing on his Facebook and his social media, like he is just like all the time sharing about Jesus Christ and the assurance a person can have that they'll spend eternity with God in heaven. And I was like, man, this is a guy that gets it. This is a guy that gets it. He calls me every year on his spiritual birthday. And I've got like in my saved messages, everything says BJ. This is the guy that gets it because he's constantly sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ. I think he gets the fact that when we are in heaven, one thing that we will not be able to do is share anymore and witness for Jesus Christ. Um, last week, Cade and I, Cade's my nine-year-old son. We were doing our, our dad's son devotional and 
flipping through it. We did our two devotions, and he was like, now we're going to read scripture. I was like, man, I just thought we just did. And it's sad when your like, kid wants to do more devotion than your pastor father wants to do devotion. But I was like, all right, cool, man. Get out your Bible. I was like, what are we doing? What are we studying? He goes, let's read like my favorite verse. So I was like, okay, cool. I go, I already know your favorite verse. And he goes, don't say it. It's Philippians 4.13. I go, I know, I know. It's, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, so he gets to Philippians 4.13 and he reads it. He goes, Dad, what, what's your favorite verse? And I go, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. And he said, what's Acts 1.8? I said, we'll turn to it. So we turn to Acts 1.8. He's reading through and he gets it. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and I started to unpack him the meaning of that. That when heaven invades our life and indwells us through the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, you have power to be his witnesses. And if we don't participate, we don't see evidence of that power. And that's one thing, that's one thing that we will not be able to do in heaven. So this morning, however you came to this place, maybe you've got a little sorrow, maybe you've got some, some struggle with habitual or, 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 um, maybe some uh, cyclical sin in your life, or maybe you've got some form of suffering, or maybe you're just like struck by the fact that we'll no longer be able to share the gospel. I wanna in invite you to invite heaven into that right now. Watching and waiting 
Jesus. 